From Sarajevo to Red Africa, Episode 8. Hey, Dobrodan, Mulibuanji. Zdravo, how's it? Alo, I'm Ruthie. I'm from Sarajevo to Red Africa. Welcome to our podcast about the people and history of the real third world. Forget the telethons. The phrase, the third world, came about as an act of defiance. When several smaller and mainly post-colonial nations decided that they did not want to choose between the Western First World or the Eastern Second World, but instead to choose their own third way. Alone, they could not rival the superpowers, but together they could be a force to be reckoned with. The nations of the Third World weren't merely poverty-stricken post-colonial backwaters. They had traditions of thousands of years of literature. They were the cradle of humankind and civilization, and they had fought hard battles for self-determination. And, even more, the events of the world today directly descend from the Third World's past. These stories have been overlooked long enough, and we're going to tell them to you here. The directive from the German general Lothar von Trotha was read as follows. I, the great general of the German soldiers, send this letter to the Herero. The Herero are German subjects no longer. They have killed, stolen, cut off ears and other body parts of the wounded soldiers and are now too cowardly to want to fight any longer. I announce to the people that whomever hands me one of the chiefs shall receive 1,000 marks, and 5,000 for Samuel Maharero. The Herero nation must now leave the country. If it refuses, I shall compel it to do so with the cannon. Any Herero found inside the German frontier, with or without a gun or cattle, will be executed. I shall spare neither women nor children. I shall give the order to drive them away and fire at them. Such are my words to the Herero people. October 2nd, 1904. The first genocide of the 20th century is one that is often forgotten. It took place in what is now Namibia, but what was then known as German Southwest Africa from 1904 to 1907. Germany came later than other nations to the scramble for Africa. In the 1880s, horrified by the drain of younger German citizens to America, it was decided that those feeling the need to experience the adventure of conquering a new continent would serve Germany better to do so within a German colony, where their industriousness, strength, and other human assets would not be lost to the aspiring industry of the German nation. German Southwest Africa was created as a protectorate in 1884. But the problem was that Southwest Africa was a harsh and forbidding place, and interest in immigration there was not high. From 1885 to 1890, Heinrich Ernst Goring, whose name you may find familiar via his son Hermann during the Third Reich, was appointed the imperial governor of German Southwest Africa, and expected to quell the natives and make it an inspiring destination for young Germans. Goring did sign a protection treaty with Maharero, but he also built part of his house over a Herero graveyard and faked a gold discovery, resulting in his expulsion from Maharero land. All in all, it was not an auspicious beginning. Nevertheless, the German government and even most German people were all in on the glory of an African possession. As German Chancellor Leo von Caprivi said to the Reichstag in 1893, we possess Southwest Africa once and for all. It is German territory, and it must be preserved as such. Still, by 1903, there were only about 4,700 German settlers in Southwest Africa, 
and more than 75% of them were men. This, combined with the settlers' consensus that the African natives were less than human, and the subsequent treatment and abuse of natives by German settlers, created the beginning of a firestorm. The dominant people in the area were the Herrera, who themselves had migrated to the area and had recently established their position over the other peoples of the area with the use of European firearms. But even with their European arms and superior numbers, there were less than a thousand German troops in the area, the Herrero knew that they were in a precarious position, particularly since the Rinderpest plague and a drought had decimated their cattle herds. It was a precarious position set to get much work. The Herrero found out that the German government had plans to move them onto reservations and to divide Herrero land in half with the railway. An opportunity appeared in January 1904 when Governor Lutwein and most of the troops were in the south of the colony fighting a small native uprising. According to later letters by the Herrero leader Samuel Maherero, whose father had signed the protection treaty with Goring, the settlers in the area took advantage of the governor's absence to try to create an excuse for the German government to, quote-unquote, deal with the Herrero issue once and for all. Herrero prisoners were summarily executed, and Samuel Maherero himself was brought in and whipped mercilessly. Because of these things I became angry and said, now I must kill the white people, even if I die, Maherero wrote to Governor Lutwein. It was no small decision. Maherero, who had been educated by Lutheran missionaries, had been friendly to the Germans previously. The order was given. German men were to be killed. Spare the missionaries, non-German whites, women, and children. On 12 January, the Herrero attacked and 123 Germans were killed. The fighting spread and the Herrero took over military stations and killed the soldiers manning them. Initial reports to Germany gave the indication of indiscriminate murder and rape. All farms in the vicinity of Vindhoek plundered by Herrero. Whites living on isolated farms murdered. Situation very grave. The wire from District Judge Richter to the German Forest Office on 14 January 1904. The reaction in Germany was loud and clear, as stated in the Berliner Zeitung. We must make a repeat of this uprising impossible under all circumstances by sharp and ruthless punishment. The Herrero style of warfare was alien to the German settlers. Herrero took no prisoners and killed wounded enemies with knives and clubs. Their ritual mutilation of cattle thieves was employed on German settlers and seemed to Germany to be desecration of the dead. They also took and wore the clothing of the dead, necessary for people who were impoverished but seen as further depredations by Germany. By February 4th, the tide had mostly turned toward the Germans, even before the return of the troops in the south. The Herrero continued a guerrilla warfare campaign, but settlers would set out in groups and simply kill any Herrero they saw or anyone they interpreted as being Herrero. The news of German retaliation on the Herrero spread back to Germany, and although the majority of sentiment remained on the side of massive punishment, horrifying accounts were read in the Reichstag, including from one German soldier in March 1904. We're not permitted to take prisoners. Everything alive with black skin is shot down. The diary of Captain Frank recorded German treatment of wounded Herrero. A wounded is brought in with a horribly mutilated leg. The man does not even brush the flies away from the dreadful, ragged flesh. 
He is questioned and then shot. Von Bonen does it well. He had him shot from the back at a moment when the unfortunate man suspected nothing. Voices in the Reichstag, most notably August Babel, demanded answers. Governor Lutwein, now back from the south, sent a report. Orders to kill women and children or to take no prisoners at all have nowhere been given. However, after everything that has happened, it is only natural that our soldiers have not proceeded with particular leniency. It is equally natural that no commander has ordered such leniency. If Mr. Bebel apparently believes that one is obligated to take prisoners in war, then he doesn't know international law. But whatever atrocities committed after January 14th, the highest levels of the German government did not believe that Lutwein was in any way reacting harshly enough, and that he was taking entirely too long to win a war against a people they considered obviously inferior. A stronger response was needed, one in line with the instructions Kaiser Wilhelm had laid out for those sent to quell the Boxer Rebellion in 1900. Take no quarter. Behave so that no Chinese will dare look askance at a German for a thousand years. To this end, General Lothar von Trotha was sent to command. Von Trotha was a veteran of the Boxer Rebellion and also a particularly bloody command in German East Africa in the 1890s. He later outlined his beliefs by saying, It was and is my policy to use force with terrorism and even brutality. He instituted martial law upon his arrival on June 11, 1904. The Herero had retreated to the Waterberg as it was the last big source of water before the desert. The German railway did not extend that far, and so endless troops and supplies were carted in with oxen for three months as von Trotha readied for a European-style battle. Although the supplies made it to the correct battleground, by the time everything was in place, the Germans were exhausted and their livestock had eaten all the available grass in the area. The Herero had also exhausted their supplies as they waited for events to play out. As a result, the German battle did not go as planned. A technical win, around 60,000 Hereros still managed to escape into the Kalahari Desert. Von Trotha was enraged. The Battle of Waterberg was supposed to be a decisive victory, and instead he felt it made him look foolish. The Germans allowed nothing to leave the desert. In October 1904, von Trotha issued his order for annihilation of the Herero people. The vast majority of them starved and dehydrated in the desert, although a few thousand made it to what was then the British protectorate of Bishwanaland, now Botswana, including the leader, Samuel Maherero. Skeletons were found surrounding holes that were up to 13 feet deep as people desperately dug down to find water. Incidents of water holes being poisoned were reported. Tens of thousands of Herero perished. But it was not the end. By the end of 1904, the order to kill and banish all Herero loosened, and the remaining people were herded into concentration camps, including one so horrific that natives would commit suicide upon finding out they were destined to go to Shark Island. Built on a rock peninsula, Shark Island was constantly beset with winds and freezing cold. Those imprisoned there were subject to beatings, rapes, starvation, and rations that were only a handful of uncooked rice and no means to cook it. Prisoners died in huge numbers and their bodies were set on the beach to be carried out with the tide. In a portent of what was to come, prisoners were also subjected to various medical experiments, 
most notably by Dr. Eugene Fisher, whose dubious findings later went on to help form the Nuremberg Laws. His students included several Nazis, including Joseph Mengele. Women in the camps were put to work boiling the heads of deceased Herrero and then scraping the skin off the skulls so they could be sent back to German university collections. Several of these skulls have been returned to Namibia in recent years. The Herrero were soon joined by the Nama in these concentration camps. The Nama had also revolted against the Germans, causing yet another proclamation to be released by General von Trotha. The Nama who chooses not to surrender and lets himself be seen in German territory will be shot until all are exterminated. Those who, at the start of the rebellion, committed murder against whites or have commanded that whites be murdered have, by law, forfeited their lives. As for the few not defeated, it will fare you for them as it fared for the Herrero who in their blindness also believed that they could make war successfully on the powerful German emperor and the great German people. I ask you, where are the Herrero today? General von Trotha, April 22, 1904. The concentration camps were dismantled in 1907. There were less than 20% of the Herrero nation still alive, and only 50% of the Nama remained. Those who survived the three years of genocide were forced onto a native work register, forced to use travel permits in all movement, and all above the age of seven were forced to wear metal neck collars which had their register numbers on them. Herrero were not allowed to own cattle without white permission, which could be rescinded, and interracial marriage was banned explicitly and retroactively. Several questions have been discussed about the Herrero genocide, the first and foremost being whether the Kaiser himself and the highest reaches of the German government actually called for the genocide. Although records don't remain to give a definitive answer, on January 19, 1905, after the famous Order of Annihilation, Kaiser Wilhelm sent a message personally to von Trotha. You have entirely fulfilled my expectations when I named you to commander of the Schutztruppe, and it is a pleasure to express to you again my complete recognition for your accomplishments so far. It is not the statement of someone too bothered by the annihilation of a people, whether it was explicitly ordered or not. The previous governor, Lütwein, resigned after von Trotha's annihilation order. Von Trotha attempted an explanation of sorts to Litwein in a letter from November 5th. When I was appointed commander in southwest Africa, I received no instructions or directives. His majesty simply told me that he expected I would defeat the uprising by all means, and explain later why the uprising had begun. By all means gives rather a lot of latitude. It's entirely possible that a genocide was carried out on the basis of, in the English saying, a wink and a nod, with no one explicitly ordering the genocide of the Herero and Nama, but a silent assent as actions were taken that led to their annihilation. But, however the order was given, and whomever the order originated with, the fact remains that more than 80,000 Herero existed in 1903, and in 1907, less than 15,000 remained. In 1912, the Germans in Southwest Africa erected a monument to those Germans who died in the Herrero War. This monument, a rider on horseback, called the Rider Denkmal, stood on the site of a Herrero and Nama concentration camp for over a hundred years, even after Namibia wrested independence from South Africa in 1990. 
It has since been moved and is in storage. The numbers listed on the monument are startling. German dead, including those dead to disease and accident, 1,581, with civilian deaths of 119 men, four women, and one child. More than 65,000 Herero and 10,000 Nama were killed. The German government apologized for atrocities in 2004. In 2015, Germany recognized that the Herero and Nama wars were a genocide. In 2021, Germany apologized for the genocide and pledged $1.1 billion in aid to the affected communities. The first Herero skulls were repatriated to Namibia in 2011, and repatriation of the remains has continued off and on since. As always with our podcasts, we have barely scratched the surface of the history of Africa, colonization, Namibia, and anyone involved in these historic events. It would take far more than a 15 to 20 minute podcast to even begin to untangle the nuances of history, and I hope you'll use this as a jumping off point to continue researching. Please read more, go back further, and for heaven's sakes, make sure you can find these places on a map. Zdravo, salani buino oke, ciao, au revoir, vidimo sempre.